Well, we've come to our final week in our series called Home Life. Back in September, Pastor Matt kicked off this series with a desire to show us how the good news of Jesus applies not only to Sunday mornings, but to the rest of our lives, especially to the relationships within our homes. Week by week, we've seen how Scripture speaks to our status, situations, and relationships at home. We've seen not only what God's Word says about marriage, singleness, friendship, parenting, and other relationships, we've also seen that the Gospel is an ever-timely message that gives us new eyes for reinterpreting our relationships with God and our neighbor. We've seen that home is... Uh, isn't to be cordoned off from our Christian life. Rather, home is where we live the Christian life for most of our hours each and every week. It's the place to be a disciple of Jesus, and it's the place to make disciples of those around us. Because the good news of Jesus, which has transformed our heart as believers, continues to transform our heart, and it helps us to relate to those that are closest to us in our life, in our homes. Jesus' life and love expands our hearts to extend our love and our life, um, even our homes, to others. Faith works through love, doesn't it? And today, as we finish the series, thinking about extending hospitality towards outsiders, we'll see that we're to do this to others because this is what Jesus has done to us and for us. Once again, we'll see that our relationship with Jesus serves as a pattern or a paradigm for thinking about hospitality towards outsiders. If we're Christians, Jesus has welcomed us, so we are to welcome others. When we show hospitality, we're simply imitating him. And since he's present in us by his Holy Spirit, when we show hospitality to others, he continues to welcome outsiders in through us. Hospitality is an outreach strategy of Jesus. But before I get ahead of myself, let's get a working definition of hospitality. What is it? Well, my Bible dictionary defines hospitality as the practice of entertaining strangers graciously. The Greek word translated as hospitality literally means the love of strangers. Last week, Troy reminded us of the importance of showing hospitality to fellow Christians within the church, right? And he quoted Matthew, 5, uh, Matthew 25, verse 35, where Jesus said, I was a stranger and you took me in. And Jesus says to his followers in Matthew 10, whoever receives you receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. So to show hospitality and to welcome in fellow believers, even if they're strangers to us, is to welcome the Lord's presence and blessing into our lives. Why? Because the Lord lives in his people. He is present in his people by his spirit. Such a tight relationship exists between Christ and the church that he can even say, if we receive a believer, you receive him, the Lord of the believer. A quote I always use in our church membership class by the late theologian John Murray says, Christ in all his offices as Redeemer 
is never to be conceived of apart from the church, and the church is not to be conceived of apart from Christ. The church is the body of Christ. He is the head. We are the members or the limbs. We are united to Christ by faith as a body is joined to a head. So when we extend love and hospitality to a fellow believer, even if we don't know them well, we have responded to our Lord as well since he is present in them. Remember that challenging passage in 1 John 4 where it says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I think referring there to fellow Christians. So it's clear that if we're followers of Christ, we are certainly supposed to show hospitality to our brothers and sisters in the family of God. This is an expression of love that all Christians, especially elders in the church, are supposed to show. But our hospitality isn't to be limited to fellow Christians. Today I hope to show you that all believers are also to show hospitality toward outsiders as well. So we'll need to make room in our schedules, homes, and at our tables for people who aren't believers. Remember what Jesus said in in Luke 14. He said, when you give a dinner or a banquet or a party, we might say, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Why? Because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. (laughs) And I think this applies to the spiritually blind and lame as well. I like what Rosaria Butterfield says. She says, the truly hospitable aren't embarrassed to keep friendships with people who are different. They don't buy the world's bunk about this. They know that there is a difference between acceptance and approval, and they courageously accept and respect people who think differently from them. They don't worry that others will misinterpret the friendship. Jesus dined with sinners, but he didn't sin with sinners. Jesus lived in the world, but he didn't live like the world. This is the Jesus paradox. I should probably tell you that I don't have all the quotes up this week because uh, I was away at the beginning of the week. I'll mention that later on, but uh, if you want the quotes, you'll have to go online to get the manuscript, okay? Um, So this is the Jesus paradox that he dined with sinners, he didn't sin with sinners, he lived in the world, but he didn't live like the world. Now, fittingly, the last message in our home life series will show us how scripture provides new lenses for seeing our own homes. Is it possible that the same gospel that changes the way we think about the, relationship in, about the relationships inside our homes also changes the way we think about the relationships outside our homes, and it also changes the way we think about using our homes? Is the gospel big enough to change the very way we think about the physical space that we eat in, sleep, cook, clean, watch movies, and shovel snow at? Whether you live in an apartment, dorm, or house, whether you pay rent or a mortgage, I hope to show you a different way of seeing your home today. Could it be that Jesus wants to be Lord of how we use our living rooms and our kitchen tables for his glory? Well, as I've been studying this for this message, I've seen in numerous passages that our homes may be the best thing we have for reaching the lost. 
And our homes may be one of the most overlooked and uh, uh, underrealized settings for evangelism and apologetics. Simply put, evangelism means preaching the gospel. And apologetics means to give a response, uh, either offensively or defensively, to unbelievers about that gospel. But when you hear evangelism and apologetics, what do you think about? Maybe you think about preaching in public settings and concert-style conferences or debates or lectures in universities. Or maybe you think of popular books by Christian scholars that make a case for Christianity. But do you think of your kitchen table, your backyard, or your couch as a legit space to preach and respond to those who are far from Christ face-to-face? I've been pleasantly surprised to see how often God uses uh, homes for evangelism in the Bible. I hope to show you that if you're a believer, he can use and will use you and your home to this end. That is, if you're willing to graciously invite and welcome insiders into your home. They say home is where the heart is, right? Today we're going to consider what God's word says about our homes and what our homes say about our hearts. Am I willing to tell others about the Lord of my life? Or will I conf- uh, to, to, to invite others into my home and to tell them about the Lord of my life? Or will I confine my Christianity to church on Sunday, my church friends, and the people inside my house? Will I open the door to outsiders? I think when we open our homes to people, we're opening more than our doors, right? We're opening our heart to a relationship with them. We're giving them access to our lives, our presence, and our company. And we're saying to them, you're welcome here. You belong here. You're among friends here. You're safe and sound here. And what a picture of the gospel this is. It's a picture of how through faith in Christ, God says, welcome home to us. Now, I would be remiss to uh, neglect mentioning how timely and applicable this very message is for me and my family. This week, we went to Milton for a funeral of my wife's great uncle. And before we went, we booked a hotel for Tuesday night. Kids were all excited. We were all excited because there was a pool, and we were really looking forward to that. We headed out early Tuesday morning, and after the funeral, we checked into the hotel and realized that the hotel wasn't what it looked like online. (laughs) Classic, eh? It was filthy, honestly, and it was not worth the money it cost us. So after we asked for a clean room, uh, they looked to see if they had a clean room, and they came back to tell us that, uh, sorry, they they couldn't give us a clean room that was up to standards, so they gave us a full refund and sent us on our way. (laughs) And uh, wow, isn't that encouraging when you're in a different city, far from home, at 7 p.m. on Tuesday night with a baby and three adults and three children. So we had a full car, and we had a big problem. But then we went to Liz's cousin's house in Melton and told them about our situation. And they immediately offered us to stay with them. Problem solved. Done deal. They provided meals, beds, a beautiful home away from home, and most of all, their presence. Great company and conversations were had by all for many, many hours. They made room for us in their homes because we're family. When they open their home to us, they open their hearts to us as well. And we're so thankful for their kindness and their company. And they've also given us a very memorable picture of the gospel and hospitality. 
All right, with all this in mind, as a very long introduction, the main point of today's message is this. The Lord Jesus welcomes outsiders in through his presence, his people, and his word. The Lord Jesus welcomes outsiders in through his presence, his people, and his word. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that the good news of Jesus is not due, but it is done. It is finished. Jesus has accomplished salvation for all who believe in him. And we pray that today that everyone who is listening to this would be coming face to face with the good news and the great Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that your spirit would usher us into close fellowship with you and that we would understand what your word says about your welcome of us and how we're to welcome others around us for your glory. Lead us and guide us into your truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing we're going to see in our message today is that the Lord Jesus welcomes outsiders in through his personal presence. So to do this, we're going to look at a passage in John chapter 1. And we're going to consider hospitality through the lens of the incarnation of Christ. The fact that Jesus came to this earth to be with us, God in the flesh. So in John 1.14, an extremely important Bible verse and uh, New Testament uh, verse, we see that Jesus' strategy um, included coming to be with us. His strategy to reach us included him coming to be with us. And it says in John 1.14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this text teaches us so much about the Son of God, but my intent today is just to look at the part in there that says that he came to dwell among us. Literally pitch his tent among us. We're not going to look at the whole verse, but we're going to zero in on what this is. The Son of God, the creator of the world, moved into the world that he made to take up residence with us. Right? We celebrate this each and every year at Christmas. And this is an allusion back to the tabernacle in the Old Testament when God pitched a tent with his people. Right? It was where, the place where God met with them and the place where God's people worshipped him. And what is the beauty of of this, the fact that God would come to be with us. It is that God is with us. It is the fact that the creator of all the, uh, the whole world and the Lord of everything was personally present with his imperfect people. He wanted to be with his people. And his people were stubborn, rebellious, sinful, imperfect in many, 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 many ways. And yet he planned to keep company with them, to meet with them in the tent. And we see this continue as we follow the narrative of the Old Testament, but when we come to John chapter 1, we see that Jesus took up a body to be with his people. And the message paraphrase of John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He did. He was living in a body, 
And he came to live in this world that he created. The Lord Jesus came to this earth for many reasons indeed, but one of the reasons is because he loves strangers like us, and he wanted to bring us back into a relationship with God. And he condescended to do that. He invites and welcomes strangers like us into his love and his life. He brings us in from the dark and cold outside into the company of his love. He brings us close to God, though we be far from him. Into his personal presence, into his everlasting love. He came, he lived on this earth, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, he ascended back into heaven in order to welcome us into the family of God. He says in John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. I won't slam the door on their face. I will welcome them in. There is a promise of reception when we come to Jesus by faith. A promise that we'll no longer be estranged from him when we come to him by faith. If we come by believing in him and his word, we'll be received by the most gracious host of all. So, have you come in from the darkness to Jesus? He says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. If you come to him, He'll not only welcome you, he'll also change your life. Now let me tell you how he did this in a few people's lives in the book of John, chapter 4, in a city called Samaria. So turn, turn John chapter 4. Here we see how Jesus saved a woman whom he met at the well. It's a famous story for good reason. He gave her eternal life, which is another way of saying that he saved her soul. And in the narrative, you can see that after she repented and believed in him, she was a changed woman. Absolutely. And one of the marks of that changed woman is that she went and told others about the one who saved her. The good news about Jesus traveled through this woman. And we see in John chapter 4, verse 39 to 42, how this word of Jesus traveled into that place of Samaria. It says in verse 39, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So, the Son of God, who took up residence in the world that he made, also stayed and took up residence in the homes of people who invited him in. He stayed there and apparently discussed his word for them, uh, with them for two days. He had good conversation with them about himself, and they came to believe that he was the Savior of the world through his word. In other words, they got saved. They got eternal life. He saved his hosts. Now notice, it wasn't only his presence that made them believe. In verse 41, it says that they believe because of his word. So Jesus stayed with these Samaritans, which would have been socially unheard of. For two days, he stayed with people that were regarded as unclean, historically. 
But not only that, he brought salvation to them as they believed in his word. He spoke the word about himself to them and saved them while they extended hospitality to him. (laughs) Jesus did outreach to outsiders in their own home. He is the greatest host, the greatest guest of all, the greatest house guest this world has ever seen. He brings and gives salvation, eternal life to everyone who believes in him. He even uses homes to do his work. And though we don't have to search, uh, sorry, sorry, though we don't have time to search all the instances that Jesus uses homes to evangelize in the Gospels, I do want to give you another text to stir your affections. Uh, in your own time, look up Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. Not a huge passage, but there you see that Jesus stays with and brings salvation to Zacchaeus' house, right? People even grumble that Jesus became Zacchaeus' guest, who was known as a sinner. He had a bad reputation, but Jesus made this man with a bad rep a new man because he saved him. And he did this in the intimacy of his home. Again, we see a pattern. Jesus becomes a guest so that he might save his hosts. Preach his word, save them. So, by now we've seen that the incarnation of Christ, the fact that Jesus came and took up physical, personal residence in the world, and the fact that he brought salvation to people in the gospel, in the gospels by staying in their homes and preaching the word, serves as a pattern, a model for hospitality towards outsiders. It shows us that God sanctions the use of our homes for evangelism. He reaches outsiders when they come inside our homes and we share the word with them. Jesus uses homes to reach outsiders. He came and preached, sorry, he came in person and preached his word. And he's still doing it today. Only now he's doing it through his people, right? That's us. Now, let's consider how we might imitate the ways of Jesus and the way that Jesus welcomes outsiders into his family. And we're going to focus now on the kind of people we're to be as a church. Then uh, we're going to look at how we're to speak to outsiders, and then we'll wrap it up with a scriptural example of this. So let's consider now, the Lord Jesus welcomes outsiders in through his imperfect people. So how might we imitate Christ's outreaching hospitality. Well, an underrated text for outreach is John 13, 34 to 35. You could turn with me there if you'd like. And it's a familiar passage. It's where Jesus tells us that our love for one another as a church is a part of his outreach strategy to the world. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So a loving, warm, forgiving, imperfect church is God's plan to reach the world. The church shows and tells people who don't follow Jesus the power of the gospel. So our relationships within the church are extremely important for our impact on the outsiders in our life and our community. And our love for others within the church should never be forfeited at the expense of doing outreach. We're not supposed to to run each other over so that we could get on mission. 
we're supposed to continue and to abound in love for one another as we're out on mission. And it's a part of the mission to love one another. God intends to use a Christ-like church who are loving each other sacrificially like Christ loved us to show and tell the world what a disciple of Jesus is. Francis Schaeffer explains these verses saying, unless true Christians show observable love to each other, Christ says the world cannot be expected to listen, even when we give, pe- uh, give proper answers. Not just any love, but down-to-earth practical love should evidence Jesus' authenticity as the one sent by the Father. And Troy showed us last week that the context of that John 13 is his foot washing, right? This is a, a, a display of love. So the church it seems, is the best way to interpret, for the world to interpret the gospel. As a man named Leslie Newbigin says, uh, the best way to interpret the gospel is through a loving church. He says, the primary reality of which we have to take account in seeking for a Christian impact on public life is the Christian congregation. How is it possible that the gospel should be credible, that people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross. I am suggesting that the only answer, the only hermeneutic of the gospel is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. So the gospel is a hermeneutic. Newbigin says, the only hermeneutic of the gospel. A loving congregation is the only hermeneutic of the gospel. Healthy, hospitable, and loving church is the best apologetic for the gospel. And a, on the other side, and a loveless church loses its gospel credibility in the community. So the way we're loving one another matters a lot for our witness to the world. So church... Let's do some consideration here. How do you think we're doing at loving one another at Calvary? How might we love others like Christ loved us? Let's consider one way, our words. Now that's already terribly convicting, isn't it? The way we speak to one another and the way we speak about one another is a display of our love or our lovelessness. We can speak well of other Christians and to other Christians, or we can do the opposite. But we must keep in mind those words of Jesus, where he says, On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Careless words. Now, the way we speak to one another is is meant to be an opportunity for loving others. But let's learn now, by God's grace, how to speak the truth in love to not only other Christians, but also to outsiders. So, next we're going to look at Colossians 4, and we're going to see that, yes, we're meant to speak the truth in love to fellow Christians, but we're also to speak to unbelievers or outsiders in such a way that is gracious as well. In Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6, uh, we have this marvelous passage, and it says this. 
Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Welcome in uh, sorry, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you know how you, may, how you ought to answer each person. So here we see the Lord Jesus welcomes outsiders in as his people speak his word graciously. So we leave the results of people's salvation in the Lord's hands. That's up to the Lord. But we, as believers in Christ, are to, according to Colossians 4, are to pray that God would open doors for us to tell others about the mysteries of Christ. We're to pray for an opportunity. And once the opportunity comes, because if you pray this way, God will provide an opportunity. It's according to his will. Once that opportunity comes, and then the door is open to speak the word, We are to speak the word in such a way as Colossians 4.4 says. We're to speak in such a way as to make it clear. And as verse 6 says, in such a way that is gracious, seasoned with salt. So that we know how to answer each person, it says. We're, We're to speak in a timely, clear, and gracious way to outsiders. Giving honest answers to honest questions. What a picture of evangelism and apologetics this is, right? We're to do so in a gracious way with others. Apologetics professor Jerem Bars recalls how God used his friend Mike uh, from Saskatchewan, of all places, to bring him to Christ. And he did this in the context of an open friendship and an open home. And I pray he'd use us to do the same with others. Jerem says this about his friend Mike. I first met him through a mutual acquaintance, and he rapidly became one of my dearest friends, and he still is. He was kind and hospitable, always ready to invite me in for coffee or a meal. He was open-hearted and seemed to spend much of his time extending a helping hand to needy students like me. He was eager to discuss the issues that my professors had turned aside, willing to help me think my questions through, ready to sympathize with the troubling doubts that filled my heart and mind, discerning and knowledgeable about the literature, drama, films, and music that had contributed to my despair. He used to play uh, taped lectures by Francis Schaeffer for a small group of students and use them as a basis for discussion of Christianity. No question was off limits, and his patience seemed endless. Mike led me in a prayer of commitment to Christ, as we knelt together on his kitchen floor about a year after we, met, we first met. He had given me and continued to give me a huge amount of his time, and he did so gladly and freely. I thank God for Mike Timchak to this very day. So the way we speak to others may be something that the Lord wants to work on in us. We may have opportunities as we speak to others even to lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian brothers and sisters, can we arrange our schedules to make room for outsiders in our homes? Let's start by praying Colossians 4, that God would give us an open door for the word, right? 
And then let's pray for courage to invite, welcome, and open our door to those outside of Christ. To welcome them in as Christ welcomed us in, so that Christ may may reach them through us. Now we've seen how Christ shows hospitality towards outsiders, and we've seen that we're to be a loving people who speak graciously to outsiders. Now it's time to see an example of this in the life of Paul. So, the last thing we're going to see today is that the Lord Jesus welcomes outsiders in as his people welcome outsiders into their homes and speak his word, following the pattern of the master here, following the model of Jesus. Now, I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 28. The book of Acts shows us how the gospel moves from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, right? That's the the theme of this book. It's showing how the church carries the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And God used Paul many times to bring the gospel to new communities. The narrative is remarkable, and the impact of the gospel on these people's lives and communities is unmistakable. In Acts 20, Paul sums up his ministry in Ephesus, and he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Circle that house to house. You can see how he does this as you read through the book. But his hospitality is often overlooked, right? Paul is known as going into these cities and preaching publicly about Jesus and getting beaten up for it, and then he has to run out of the town because he has made such, uh, uh, caused such a stir because he told people about the truth of who Jesus is. And yet, as we look in the book of Acts, we're going to see that he, he used his home. And I think we see this most clearly in Acts 28 when he's in Rome. He finally arrives in Rome. And at this point, Paul's public preaching uh, preaching has gotten him into some trouble in Israel, and now he's under house arrest in Rome, guarded by a soldier, as 28 verse 16 says. But this didn't stop him from preaching. It just meant that his preaching was set in a different environment. Now, instead of going and telling, now instead of going and telling people in public, he invited people to come and hear at his home about the Lord Jesus. And as was his custom, he brought the gospel to the Jews first, then to the Gentiles. Listen to how this happened in Acts 28, verses 23 to the end. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers, through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. In their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. 
Now here it is. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. So Paul was ready to welcome all who came to his lodging. Maybe it was an apartment. Maybe it was a room. But he was there in that setting, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching whoever would come about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. He was at home and he was preaching. This is how the gospel traveled to the ends of the earth, in a humble home or lodging in Rome, which may have been a simple apartment or room. The space doesn't seem to... We don't seem to need much space to be used by God. Whatever we have, whether it's an apartment, a home, or uh, uh, whatever it is, a, a dorm, we, c- we can be used by God to welcome unbel- uh, unbelievers in and to share with them the truth of Jesus. This is hospitality towards outsiders. This is face-to-face preaching, apologetics, and evangelism in a home. So, I hope you've seen today that showing hospitality towards outsiders is not a new idea. It comes from the scriptures. It's one of Jesus' own strategies to reach lost people. And he continues to do it today through his people. God uses our home to reach people. It's a legit platform for reaching our guests with the gospel. It's a great setting for face-to-face outreach and apologetics. So scripture helps us to reinterpret the way we think about where we live, doesn't it? Well, modern-day examples of this kind of model abound. Just for your reference, there's a few that have done it throughout uh, the last uh, century or so. Francis Schaeffer's example at Labrie is one where he'd pray for God to lead people to his home, then he'd welcome anyone who came, And they'd have discussions about Christianity. And it happened in an imperfect home where they showed hospitality in Switzerland. Rosaria Butterfield's testimony of coming to Christ happened through the hospitality of a loving couple. And her own example of extending hospitality towards outsiders shows us that God is still doing this today. The Alpha Course follows a guided discussion about Christianity in a small group setting where discussion happens and where others are offering that tangible expression of love and uh, hospitality. Christianity Explored, Grief Share, and even our own small group meetings each week, uh, each week do this. All these ministries and examples follow the pattern of hospitality in the home and some focus especially on outsiders. But if you're in a small group, I just want to encourage you, do not get scared when outsiders come in. Do not be discouraged in any way if you have opportunity to extend that invitation to people that aren't believers. Embrace it. Rejoice. You may have an opportunity to lead someone to Christ at your kitchen table or in your living room. I think God is pleased to drop many people to himself through these means. The home is an underrated but biblical space to proclaim the good news. It gives a humane touch and setting for divine truth to be proclaimed. Providing that face-to-face relational context for evangelism and apologetics. So... 
Has the gospel changed the way you think of your home yet? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do pray that you would use us, your people, to welcome people to Jesus through our homes. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.